This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode 99. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your hosts, Michael Blanc. Hey there, and welcome to the show. My name is Michael Blanc. I'm really excited you're here to learn with me about apartment building investing. Today, I have with me on the show, Clayton Morris host of the super popular Investing in Real Estate with Clayton Morris on iTunes. Uh, really excited to have him on show. It's the second time I've had him on the show. And today on the show, he really talks about, hey, was able to quit his, his news anchor job uh, with real estate. And I'm like, why would you do that? You have such a freaking cool job that everybody wants. Why in the world would you ever want to quit that job? And we kind of get into it a little bit. And I kind of draw him out a little bit about, he gets pretty personal about, about this. And I think this is what's required if we want to change our lives with real estate, if we want to quit our jobs, we have to get personal. Like, I, I truly believe that we have to get very clear about our why. And not just, hey, I want to quit my job, but not only why is that, but why is that so important? In other words, is, is our current situation so unacceptable that I have to change it? And the more the answer is yes, it is unacceptable, the more likely you're simply going to take action. And it was clear the case with Clayton, despite the fact that it seemed like he had this, this awesome job that everybody else wanted. So I'm really excited about getting into Clayton's why. Before we do that, I just want to submit the, the, the show is sponsored by my Financial Freedom Summit. It's April 27th to 29th here in Northern Virginia. Uh, find out more is themichaelblank.com forward slash summit. And this is kind of an advanced workshop. It's not a beginning multifamily apartment building investing workshop where there's a bunch of speakers talking. You're going to be working in small groups and you're going to be buying a 69 unit building together over the course of those two days. So you're going to start, you're know, analyze it, find it, negotiate it, do due diligence. You have to deal with different kinds of issues. You have to get funding. You have to raise the money. And then hopefully at the end, you'll close the deal. So if you find out more about that, go to themichaelblank.com forward slash summit and hope you'll join me in April 27th. All right. So let's get into the conversation with Clayton. Here you go. Hey, Clayton, welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. A great treat to be here. Yeah, it's awesome. Just uh, give us a brief introduction uh, to yourself before we get going here. Well, I spent a long time in the television world. As a kid, I snuck downstairs and would watch uh, Letterman and Carson when my parents thought I was in bed. So I wanted to have a career in, in broadcasting in some capacity. And I spent about 18 years in television, morning television, most notably uh, at the Fox News Channel for the last 10 years of my career and decided to retire. I turned 40 last year. I said, uh, I'm done that I had a, enough and passive income from real estate investing over the many years that uh, I didn't want to be a part of waking up at four in the morning anymore and having to talk about what, <laughs> having to talk about all the craziness in the world and politics and everything else. And I could spend more time with my family. So that's kind of my life in a nutshell. So help me understand this, Clayton. You have a pretty cool job. You're a pretty important person. You're, you know, you got kind of this dream job. But what was going on in your life where you said, you know what, I can't keep doing this? What was wrong with your life at the time? Well, it's a great question because I thought about, well, where am I going with this? And I thought, okay, I re-signed a new contract, another three-year contract in television. But you have to remember that like everything I preach and talk about on my show and other things, it's about the power of controlling your own destiny. And when I realized that, okay... You know, yes, I have this great job, and yes, I'm making a great salary, and yes, I'm on TV and all this good stuff. And I walk through an airport, and people are like, I love your show and all that, but that's just ego. You know, I don't care about that. And at the end of the day, you know, it's still a paycheck. 
it doesn't matter how big it is, right? You look at these NFL players, these NBA stars that they get out of the NFL and they're broke unless they are smart and start a business or invest in real estate. And that's why you have like a number of NFL players who have like gotten together to try to educate, bring financial education in the NFL. Because, you know, the average lifespan of an NFL player is like, what, three years at most? They get out, they're broke all of a sudden. They were making millions. Where does that money go? So I, I, you know, I re-signed my contract for three more years and about a year into it, halfway through that first year, I said, God, this is just vitriolic politics and nastiness. And, you know, you get like death threat emails in your family and I mean, you wouldn't believe, you know, you're on in front of 2 million people, the things that people think that they can say, you know, it just it cuts like a knife and you're, you're like, why am I doing this anymore? Real estate was the reason to get me out of this. Why am I still here? Must be ego, right? Mm, right. So you became discontent with the job you had and you started looking for a solution. Now, you just mentioned real estate, but how does it even come up? You're going along in your job. You're going, I don't like this anymore. You immediately thought real estate? I mean, it helps understand that process. Yeah. So I've always loved broadcasting. So no, I, I was a huge fan of television. I still, you know, I've got, I do my own YouTube channel. I, I love, I love the medium of broadcasting. You know, you can see how much I light up now. You know, normally I'm kind of like a hermit around here, but talking to you, I, you know, when there's a camera on, I get excited and I'm able to communicate. It's probably the only skill I have, you know, is to talk. So I love it. And I love the breaking down the fourth wall of TV. I loved Letterman who, you know, when this cue card guy would spill coffee, he'd have the camera spin around and he'd talk with a cue card guy for three minutes. And no one had ever seen something like that before. So I love that. But I witnessed my dad lose his job when I was 12 years old. And he worked for a paycheck. And he was a fairly high level guy at a meat distribution company in Pennsylvania. And I watched him lose his job. And I watched him come home that day, pacing around the kitchen, just terrified. You know, and I thought my life was over. I was 12 years old and I thought, oh my God, we're going to have to move. You know, and he was getting nervous and scared. And he was like, you know, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going I'm to sue them. They just downsized. It wasn't anything personal. They just downsized. He was just a line item on a spreadsheet. Well, 10 years before I decided to leave television altogether, I lost my job in Philadelphia. Hmm. And that was the moment, Michael, that would I mean, that was really the moment for me. I still love television, but I said, I am never again going to have my destiny controlled by somebody else. Someone else is going to change the trajectory of my life in the way that I saw my dad lose his job. You know, I was brought in to anchor Good Day Philadelphia 10 years ago or so. And a week after I got there, the news director was fired. So the woman that had hired me to make the morning show fun and hip and, you know, like a young fun morning show again, she gets fired a week later. And so I lost all of my internal support. And then they wanted to hire a news director where they wanted to do all violence off the top of the news. And I didn't want to do that. And so about nine months into my contract, when they had the option to renew me, they said, you know what? We're taking the show in a different direction. We think you were sold a bill of goods to have this be a fun morning show. You're out of a job. And I was like, oh my God, I'm reliving my dad all over again. So that was for me the moment I decided to look for something and eventually you know, found real estate as the vehicle for me. So most of us go through life, just get a paycheck, right? And some of us then kind of realize that we, you know, we have to provide for a family, right? That's our job or responsibility, but we find that we can't control our time, right? We can't figure out how to do both things at once. How do I control my time and provide for my family? And those are incompatible a lot of times. It sounds like that's kind of what you were finding. You just couldn't control your own destiny. And when you start looking at real estate, kind of why do you think that was a solution and what strategies were you thinking would get you out of your job long term? Well, I had, you know, I had always heard about real estate and I had done some kind of flips a few years earlier when I lived in Florida, but I did it, you know, during the crash or right before the crash and sort of lost my shirt, went through a foreclosure. 
you know, I did it all wrong. I was over leveraged and, you know, just how everyone screwed up, you know? So I really took a step back from it. I understood real estate as a tangible thing. I understood that, you know, the stock market never made sense to me. Um, I would do like, you know, stocks with the day trading account when I was at the University of Pittsburgh. And, you know, I didn't know what I was even doing. I'd buy something like the next day it was gone. I was like, how did I lose all my money the next day? What did I do? What well, wasn't anything I did. It was that you're not knowledgeable enough about the market. And so I understood that real estate as a tangible thing I could sink my teeth into. I had screwed up during the crash, but I thought, okay, if I can figure out a way to just acquire real estate that produces cash flow for me, maybe that's the way forward. And honestly, it wasn't until I was on a flight to New Zealand. I was started working at the Fox News Channel. They came a knocking and said, hey, we've got an opening on our morning show. We'd love for you to come up here. And I said, but I thought the network, Fox, you guys just let me go. And they said, no, no, there's a, di- there's a difference between church and state. This is the network. That's a local affiliate. We don't care what they do. We've been watching you for a number of years. We'd like you to anchor our morning show. And I said, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, okay. And I was starting to make a good salary and I still was having trouble. I still was dealing with the foreclosure that I had years ago. So I, I wasn't doing well. And I was on this flight to New Zealand to visit a friend of mine who was shooting photos. He was a great photographer and he invited me to shoot photos with him for a few days. And he lives on the South Island. And my wife was kind enough to let me go for five days with the kids at home. And after about like a 15-hour flight, I wake up and I start talking to the older couple that was sitting next to me. They're probably in their late 50s or so, mid-50s. And I wish I would have started talking to them earlier because now we're on the descent, right? Put up your tray tables. And they said, how long are you going to be in New Zealand, young man? And I said, oh, I'm going to be there for um, you know about five days. They said, five days? Wow, that's fast. I said, what about you guys? How long are you going to be in New Zealand? And he looked at me and said, oh, we're going to be here for two months. And I said, two months? What do you do that you can go to New Zealand for two months? And he just looked at me and said, oh, I'm a real estate investor. And that was like the light bulb. you know. Wow. And I just got out a notepad and I just wrote down every little bit of details that he taught me. And honestly, that's been my formula for success. I literally followed exactly what he did. And that's how I started buying properties right away. Like a week later when I got back, I immediately set about doing that. All right. So what was that formula of success that you started following? Well, he said, you know, my partner and I, he's not with us now. He's like, my wife and I are going. He said, but he and I, we buy single family homes. We buy them in C-class, hardworking, blue collar neighborhoods where the jobs are not going overseas. And he said, right now I'm buying a lot in Michigan. That's one of my favorite markets. And he said, you know, what happened during the crash was these particular neighborhoods where I invest, they retained their jobs. They Mm -hmm. still worked at the hospital. They still worked at the FedEx distribution center. They still worked in American-based jobs. It was the A-class neighborhoods that got destroyed. And he said, those are where I buy properties, three-bedroom, one-bath, two-bedroom, one-bath. I don't over-upgrade my properties. I make them rent-ready. And I make them a nice place to live, but I don't over-upgrade. I'm not putting in granite countertops. And he said, but you know, eventually if it moves up to a B-class property and I may want to sell it eventually, maybe you know, seven, eight years from now, that's when you reassess and put in those granite countertops and you add an extra bit of value to it. And so he said, you know, I, I'm buying them off-market. And at the time I was like, off-market? What is that? You know, so I had to learn that skill and, and finding deals and, and how to go off-market. But that was really it. It was he wanted to buy for ROI. He's like, don't fall in love with real estate. I mean, that was probably my biggest takeaway. Don't fall in love with real estate. It's four walls and a roof. Fall in love with ROI. And that was it for me. That was like, boom. 
<laughs> so you started buying up single family houses, townhouses, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did that go? And then what did you do a little later on? So I started, I, as soon as I landed in New Zealand, uh, my wife wanted to know how my flight was. And I got on FaceTime audio because there was no cell connection and she could barely hear me. It was like cutting in and out. And she was like, how was your flight? And I didn't want to talk about the flight. I was like, you gotta, uh, as soon as I get back, I'm buying real estate. I'm going to do this. She's like, okay, slow down, slow down, slow down. <laughs> So a few weeks later, I bought my first two like foreclosures back when you could even find foreclosures, you know, in Michigan. And I probably paid a little bit more. Obviously, they were bank owned. So you're paying, you know, you're paying a little bit more. Um, I hired a contractor who was actually a family friend and over upgraded. I did some additional things that I probably wouldn't do now, you know, just some extra bells and whistles that I didn't need to do. Um, you know, you'll learn your lesson, but that's okay. And they were just cash flow. And these two properties were cash flowing about eight or 900 a month for me for chugging along nicely. But I didn't have a plan. And I bought these two properties. And even still, Michael, my wife came down one night to me. I'm at working at Fox, making a good salary. We've got two kids at the time. And she comes down to my office and she says, we can't pay the mortgage this month. And I was like, what? Like, why? You know, we live in New Jersey outside of Manhattan. So it's an expensive area, you know, expensive mortgage, expensive property taxes, all that stuff. She said, yeah, we can't. We can't. We don't have the money. I said, what are we doing wrong? And we, I literally that month had to sell stuff like on Craigslist out of my closet. Some jeans. I had to sell like a camera of mine just to pay the mortgage. And we said, never again. And my wife said to me, she said, what would it take? This is where we came up with our freedom number idea. She said, what would it take? You know, we've got these two properties. If we could, instead of having to worry about your day job salary, how many of these properties would it take for us to replicate that safety net they're being provided from your day job and replace it with passive income? And I said, ding, ding, ding. That was my second lightning bolt in my life. And I just jumped. And she was like, oh, I'm going to go off and do the laundry. I'm like, no, you're not going anywhere. Get over here right now. Grab a bottle of wine. And I grabbed my dry erase marker off my board. And I said, that's it. And I just started scribbling numbers down. You know, It was like this eureka moment for both of us. And and we found our formula. We we got into our numbers. We found we started understanding what our expenses were because we didn't have a handle on our expenses. Most people don't. Knowing what our financial freedom number was, and that was really how we built that whole matrix. You know, it's really the thing that changed my life. And give it away on my website, but it was to know that okay, it would take us twelve properties to be financially free. We're like, that's it, <laughs> twelve properties, and we of the same ilk that I had purchased those two in Michigan. 12 of those. And I would never have to worry about this moment again, where my wife comes to my office and says, we can't pay our mortgage again. I was like a dog with a bone after that. That 12 stayed on my refrigerator, was on my computer. It was all over my house. Like That's our goal. We're going to go after it. Right. That's awesome. I think it's uh, a lot of people are not aware what their freedom number is because they don't know what they're actually spending. And my experience has been once you know what you're spending, you're like, oh my gosh, I probably shouldn't be spending that much money to begin with. <laughs> right. I can probably do without these things. And if you can get that number down, the faster you're going to achieve your goal. So you said, okay, I got to get these 12 properties. And then what happened? Well, we just started figuring out, we got creative with our money, you know, because I, because of the foreclosure that I had gone through a few years ago in Florida, and then I had this North Carolina disaster, you know, that's why I don't do speculative stuff. If people out there do speculative stuff, great, good for you, God bless you. I don't anymore because of you know what I learned my lesson. But I invested in a uh, film, like a Phil Mickelson golf course community in North Carolina, and a buddy of mine was like, "We should do this," you know, and and I was like, "Okay," and I put in a bunch of money, 
and the money that I had made on some flips and lost it all. The you know the crash happened. The builders backed out. The, everything it just like fell apart. And I didn't do that anymore. Like this idea of investing in you know speculative stuff. But I still had the, the reverberations of the credit problem, right? I couldn't get money from a bank. I couldn't do any of that. So I had to be creative. When people, investors talk to me, they're like, well, how did you do it? Should I do it this way? Should I do it that way? I say, you should do it all of the ways because that's the way that I did it. We borrowed, we used some of our home equity line of credit, purchase properties. I had some cash on hand to buy properties. I borrowed from my 401k, not withdrew, but borrowed from it. Most people don't even know you can do that. Borrowed from it. And by the way, you're paying yourself back. So it's the bank of you, right? So I, we did it like I had an IRA. We used like every knife in the Swiss army knife to start acquiring properties. And that's what we did. And that's how we were able to start snowballing and snowballing using those properties as leverage. And then it, you know, just growing and growing and growing from there. Did you ultimately achieve your goal with 12? Did it go uh, take to take longer? Or where were you with regard to achieving that goal? Yeah, it's a great question because then we had a third child. So, <laughs> you know, I like to talk about the freedom number as a moving target if, you know, it can be, right? So, in like in my cheat sheet that I give away, you know, you, you figure out like what is your freedom number based on your current lifestyle and then padding it by about 10%. So, like padding it by going out to dinners and entertainment and things like that, maybe a vacation that you want to take. So, you have that little bit of wiggle room. For us, we needed to jump up to like 17 was our new freedom number, you know, 17 of these houses in order to achieve uh, financial freedom. And so we did, we did achieve that. Then you start to examine it from a legacy number perspective. You know, what kind of a legacy do I want to leave for my family? So it starts out with your freedom number. This is sort of like your survival number. And then you move into sort of your, what is your legacy going to be? Your legacy wealth number. And how are you going to construct your estate for your children? What things are you going to be able to hand down to them? How is that going to look? How are your LLCs reporting up to your holding company? That's how it grows, right? Then how is the, how is the holding company reporting to the spillover trust? And what percentage of that trust do I own and is protected? And so, you know, you start to get into the higher level ninja stuff that comes with uh, some experience and time. Your last day of work. Talk to me about that. What did that feel like? What was that like? You know, it was crazy because I didn't give a lot of lead time. But after what happened in Charlottesville and the riots and everything that unfolded, and I realized I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Like, I don't want to be a part of this news cycle, this kind of destructive narrative in our country, and I'm done. You know, I want to be able to sleep in on a Saturday and Sunday with my kids and go and do what normal families do go and get bagels. You know, in New Jersey, that's what you do. You know, and I never got to do that and never had a weekend with my kids. And so that morning I went in that last, it was actually Labor Day was the last day that I worked of all days and drove my car in that day rather than they would normally like send a car. But that day I drove my own car in because I wanted to clean out my office, the, the stuff that was remaining in my office, my suits and ties and all that kind of stuff. And I did the show. No one really, like half the people in the building didn't even know. And I had some other anchors coming up to me saying, because they live in fear. I mean, to be honest with you, you're only as good as your next contract, right? And so, you know, a lot of news anchors, weather guys, all that sort of stuff, you're only as good as your next contract. And so, one guy came up to me and he said, last week I started reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And just today I saw an email or I saw that you were leaving because of real estate and so forth. I couldn't believe it. He said, so I came down here, I had to talk to you. He said, because he's like, I'm 31. And I thought, my God, what I'm reading about right now, you just did that. So I want to do that. 
But half the other people there thought I was nuts. They're like, you're leaving that, you know, the number one show in the country on cable news. Like, why are you doing that? Are you nuts? Okay, good luck to you. And it was just bizarre. I, I left, I went up to my office, grabbed some of my dusty stuff off my shelves and packed up my car. And I, you know, just didn't look back. I rolled down the sunroof and I just like blasted some music and I literally took off through the Lincoln Tunnel and came home like my wife was crying. My kids ran out in the driveway and hugged me. And it was, it was one of the more remarkable moments in you know my life. I think it was a major turning point for me and to basically just say goodbye. And I'm, I'm certainly grateful for that time, but to be able to sleep in on a Saturday and Sunday with my kids now is, is I'll, I'll never look back. That's fabulous. It's a, it's a great story, Clayton. Mm. I know you started recently getting into some small Mozart family, and I think this is the year we're going to get into some bigger ones. Talk about mm -hmm. what's behind that. Well, you know, growth. I think that as you know, and as you espouse, and the power of having those larger multifamilies as tax shelters, and you know, creating those infinite returns, you know, it's much harder to do on some, you know, some of the smaller single families. But I really believe that it's a great place to start. You know, you build that portfolio of single families, you get a good track record of showing that you know and understand investing, maybe even hitting that freedom number, and then you start to expand and really start to think about, okay, how can I pay nothing in taxes, right? How can I start to change that dynamic. The income that we have coming in from these properties is great. How do I mitigate that with a large purchase of a 20-unit or a 30-unit property or a 100-unit property and start to change that entire dynamic? So yeah, we picked up a six-unit. Um, that was our first foray into multifamily, smaller than what you're used to. But this year, our goal is to get into some larger multifamily deals and to progress in that way. Again, the power of having the infinite returns and being able to have none of your own money in the deal, I think is much more, yeah, you know, I think it's, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's much easier to do when you're dealing with like larger multifamilies. Yeah. I mean, using other people's money, that was my light bulb moment for me where I realized that I wasn't limited by my own ability or financial resources or lack thereof, but could actually raise money. And so the sky would be the limit. I could find deals and raise money. It didn't matter how much or how little money I had. And that was a huge light bulb moment for me. Yeah. So, and that's the thing, um, you know, as a real estate investor, especially if you're a finder, I, I, a lot of people, they're not keepers. And I like to say, you know, there are finders and there are keepers. And when you can find these deals, keepers are the ultimate winners in this game. That when you can hold on to these properties instead of letting them go to other people, when you can keep your hands around these deals and start to realize that you can you can start to really create passive income, this the tax shelter that comes with this. There's a lot of wholesalers that get started, you know, and they they want that quick cash or they want maybe want to get in flipping houses. But then again, that's a paycheck. Just you're only as good as that deal and you've got to go out and find another deal for that next flip. So holding is the key. How long did it take you to actually quit your job from the time that you decided you were to start doing real estate? How much time went by? Let's see. It was about, I think it was about 2011 or 10, roughly, up mm -hmm. to about 2017. Mm -hmm. So about seven good years. Uh, you know, I had those first two properties for quite a while before I went and started acquiring more properties. So those first two mm -hmm. were there for about a year to two years before I took action further and had a plan. Right, right. You know, and, and understood what I was doing and why I was doing it instead of just like going after money. There's multiple ways to kind of get to the same goal. Now, my opinion, I didn't have as many rentals as you did, but I flipped a boatload of houses, did a lot of real estate shenanigans until I figured out, my gosh, what am I doing here? It's insanity. 
multifamily is the way to go, but there are multiple strategies. I think eventually we all get to the same goal, whether you do rentals or multifamily. In my opinion is you get there faster than multifamily, knowing now what I know now. But you sometimes say that the strategy itself really isn't as important. And if that's the case, what is? Well, I think it's the why. And I, you know, I talk about this, this goes back to the 1980s. I'm not reinventing the wheel here, but the idea of be, do, and have. I mean, it's as simple as be, do, and have. And most people, for instance, if I go and speak at a, you know, at a real estate investor, I was in front of a couple hundred people last or two weeks ago, and speaking a lot about the B part of this, the why. And then, of course, we get to the Q&A session and people want to talk about strategy. You know, they just want to know, okay, well, should I do this? Should I do this? Like, I'm like, I, that's important, but please, let's go back a moment. There are three steps to this. You need to be sure of your why, your B. Why am I doing this? For me, it was clear. I wanted, I, I wanted to be able to sleep in. I want to be able to spend time with my kids. I don't want to be a part of this sort of political toxic culture where people are sending my family death threats because I said one thing and the next day someone else has a different opinion of me and says that I said that it doesn't matter. You know, I just wanted to be able to empower people and help them achieve financial freedom. And so to educate and give back, that's my motivation. That's my why. Most people don't want to just focus on, should I do multifamily? Should I do single family? Should I invest in mobile home parks? Should I invest in you know uh, billboards? And they skip the, the why. Like, why are you doing this in the first place? Is it because you drive two hours every day to and from work and you get home at seven o'clock at night when your son is just going to bed and you didn't get to have dinner with him? Like, that's a why. Understanding that is so powerful. It really helps you frame. And then all the strategy, multifamily, single family, that comes later. What are you doing it for? And then the have is the third part. The money will come once those other two things are in place in the way that they should be in place. But the have, you know, the problem is that people sometimes go right to the have, fight the lottery winner, right? The lottery winner goes right to the have and guess what happens? (laughs) They lose it all right away. They didn't understand why they were doing it and they didn't have a strategy for keeping the money in place afterwards. And then they lost it all right away. That always happens. You know, it's funny. A lot of people want something but only very few actually do anything about it and are successful. And I think you talk about your why. I'd like to maybe try to figure out what sets those two different groups apart, right? Because you obviously wanted something, like everybody else wants to quit their job, wants to lose weight, wants a million dollars or everything. But for some reason, there was something different about your why than maybe about someone else's Mm -hmm. why. Can you talk about what that might be? Because this is really fundamental and I totally agree with you. Everything else comes afterwards. And I always observe that those people that take action and become successful, there was a point in their past where they decided at one point that their why, there was something special about their why where there was no other option for them but to do that. Everything else was unacceptable. And I find a lot that people who tell me they want something, well, not only do they not want it badly enough, but their current situation is actually not so bad. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out what is the difference between this why and that why? Why does this why result in someone taking massive action and achieving these goals, even if it takes seven years, for goodness sakes, right? There was obviously some some strong force that was driving you ahead versus the other guy telling me the same thing just goes on with the life. For me, I've always had a fear of success. You know, a lot of people have a fear of failure. I've had a fear of success because my father was never really able to achieve it. We lived comfortably, you know, lower middle, middle class and was fine. I was never wanting. But to watch him lose his job... And to see all of the business books that he had on his shelf on a regular basis that he would read halfway through them, or if he did finish mm-hmm. them, but he would never he would never take action on them. And when then I saw him sort of in his later years, I mean he's still alive, but you know, he's always 
he still go. He's 84 now, and he still goes to Barnes and Noble and picks up the latest business book because he's still going after that thing. And love him to death. You know, it breaks my heart. He he was never okay with the fact that he was okay. He always was searching and chasing for something in his life. And I never wanted to end up that way. You know, I, I think it was just inherent in me. I don't know that I really understood it until a few years ago when I was starting to have success in real estate investing. And my wife said to me, I was trying to do some shiny object thing that floated my way, you know, some uh, opportunity kind of floated my way. And I said, I'm going to try this thing. And I said, and she said, what are you chasing? It was like a lightning bolt through me. She said, what are you chasing? She's like, I've, I've really, she's like, I've had it. I've had it with you, like trying all these things all the time, never like any stick to itness with it. She's like, you know, with real estate, she's like, that's the one thing you've really stuck to other than your TV, you know, tenacity and made it in a career in television. And you've started to see real success in real estate. Why would you waste it on going after this thing? It was because of what I saw my dad do. I was like trained in that way. And I sort of vowed then, I'm like, I'm breaking this cycle for my family. You know, now I have a seven-year-old boy, I have a five-year-old girl and a one-year-old. And I'm like, I don't want him to grow up with this fear of failure, a fear of success where he doesn't think he's worthy of financial freedom or having that financial education or that financial intelligence. So for me, I just became like a dog, like a bone. I went after it. And I always say to people, like to answer your question in that way, why, what's the difference? There are some people like, you know, I want to do this, but they're going to take 10 years to do it. I was like, no, I want to do this and I'm going to do it in like four years, you know? And I just like, I blocked out everything with blinders, like a horse. I was like, I'm going for it. When people would send me things like do this, do that, that was the difference for me. I shut it all out. I blocked it all out and I said, nope, I'm doing this one thing and I'm going to focus on it. And that's how I was going to achieve success. The idea of you staying at your job, was that an acceptable situation for you? Would, would that have been okay with you or was that utterly unacceptable? Where did that fall in the spectrum? It was okay. It was okay because I did renew my contract and I intended on staying, you know, like another two years. And I thought, okay, maybe this will be the end of that. And I've been doing this particular show for 10 years. By then it will have been 12 and that's enough, you know, and maybe it's time to be look at doing something else. I'm a big fan of like paranormal stuff. So I was like, maybe I'd... You know, I was talking to some people from the History Channel, maybe doing something. I would love to do that. Maybe, you know. But then as, you know, when this started coming at about, you know, in 10, one year into this and all this craziness was unfolding and I was just finding it really difficult to get out of bed in the morning, like to go in there and to be a part of this and everything that was unfolding, this divisive nature of our country. I was like, I'm not adding any value to people. So at the end of the day, it was just as you're adding value with all of your training that you do to your audience. I knew that I could obviously do so much more by helping other people. I'm not helping anybody by reading one of Trump's tweets. I mean, you know, I don't care. I'm not talking politics at all. But if you're making breakfast and you hear Clayton Morris on the on Fox reading one of you know the president's tweets overnight, that's not helping you. That's not helping you achieve financial freedom for your family. But when I'm able to focus on what I do now and help people push people out of their comfort zone to take action and become a real estate investor, create financial intelligence for their family. I'm proud of that. That's to me the difference. And so at some point, the bow would have broken <laughs> and I would have said, uh-uh, no, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. It's clear that your why was actually pretty strong, which compelled you to action. You know, And here's the thing. I thought I was pretty smart until I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it made me feel so stupid <laughs> 
And since then, this was now in 2005, when I just went on my quest for financial freedom and I tried all kinds of stuff, lost over a million dollars in the process until I figured out kind of, you know, my formula, which is very similar to now your formula as well. And I cannot believe how misguided I was. And, you know, people go to these RIA meetings every single month. They go there. Why? Well, because they probably want to quit their job and they think they can get there with, with mm. real estate. And a lot of them are so misguided and or they don't really know how to get there. And uh, they think that their job is a secure thing and that even thinking about real estate investing is actually the risky thing. And I think I yeah. share your, you know, your, your frustration with that. I mean, what, what infuriates you about that attitude, which is so prevalent Well, I today? mean, when we talk to investors, we talk to investors all the time. And one of the things is, you know, hey, you got to convince, you got to get, like a wife will say, you got to convince my husband to invest in real estate because, you know, he's... He's nervous about it. I said, no, no, that's not my job. I said, he's been trained in the same way that we've all been trained, which is that a paycheck is a safety net. It's the opposite. Look what happened to me. I'm sitting there. Fox in Philadelphia encourages me to buy a house in downtown Philadelphia because you're going to be here a long time. You're back home in your home city. They're running ads for me. Clayton returns home, this whole garbage campaign that they ran on TV during the Eagles playoff game like 10 years ago. So I had friends calling me up from high school. They're like, what? Because they're all watching locally. You know, they couldn't believe it. And guess what? Nine months later, that paycheck is gone. They decided not to renew my contract. So it can happen to anybody at any time. Everyone is just a piece, a pawn on a chessboard when you're working for somebody else, when you're working for a paycheck. You know, you're, you're cog in a process no matter how good you feel. And so I get infuriated by it because when I ask for a show of hands in front of like 200 people last week, how many people here hate their job? You know, 60% hands went up. And guess what? That's the national average. 60% of people hate their mm. job. $90,000 is the only amount of money that will be in the average 401k at retirement, according to Time Magazine last year. $90,000 at retirement. And that's what people think is a safety net. Their 401k, that paycheck and it's total garbage. I mean, what's the retirement age? 69, 64? I don't even know. 60 something. Anyway, you could live on that for like, what, a year to two years? I mean, I don't plan on dying at 69. You know, I plan on, I want to be able to go off into the sunset. And it infuriates me this idea of the paycheck as the safety net. You see it in these commercials too. Watching the World Series this year really chapped me. Huge baseball fan. And I'm watching during the commercial breaks, and they had two different retirement commercials back to back. One was like a Merrill Lynch commercial, and it was an older couple. They were clearly like late 60s, sitting there with their financial planner from Merrill Lynch. And she said she hands them a piece of paper, and she hands it to the man also, which is like, you know, that's nice and sexist, right? So he hands it to the man. He looks at it, and she's like kind of like daydreaming. The wife is kind of like, oh, I don't know what's going on. He hands her. He says, honey, we did it. We're going to be able to do it. They're 70. And now they're going to be able to go and buy that boat. And that's it. Why, when they're 70, now they're going to be able to spend, and they shows, then they flashes to them out in the sunset with her, their granddaughter. And she says, aye, aye, captain. And they, and they sail off on this boat. And I'm like, okay, so you waited until now your knees don't work. So you can hang out with your granddaughter on a boat. And you needed somebody who you were paying all these high fees and finance fees to from a financial planner at Merrill Lynch. And they spend millions of dollars on those ads during the, the World Series because that's the training that we have in our brain. You don't see commercials for you and me on TV talking about real estate investing. I mean, rarely, right? Really, maybe like a three-day seminar kind of thing, but rarely because there's no middleman. If you want to go out there and take action, you could go out today and find a deal on Craigslist 
and try to get some private money from a local RIA meeting and take action. You don't need a Merrill Lynch million dollar commercial during the World Series to make things happen for you. So I like that. A lot of people listening here might be a little frustrated with this conversation because we're talking about these high level mindset things. And I used to discount this exact conversation. But now having worked with so many different students and people and seeing one person take action, the other one not take action, I'm starting to study this. And the more I study it, the more I believe this kind of conversation, this kind of reflection and introspection and and self-awareness is actually critical before, like you said, before you do any kind of strategy, before I can talk about single family, multifamily, mobile home parks, this is the kind of conversation that we should be having with ourselves. Now, we do want to get into a little bit of strategy because my next question is going to be, okay, Clayton, someone's done some massive introspection. They've developed a, a very deep why. They've, they've concluded that their current situation in the long term is unacceptable. What do they do from here? I want to quit my job. What do I do next? Well, again, I come back to the why. So I want to quit my job. Why? Right? You know, you, you don't like the job. That's fine. But why? Because we can build a little bit of a battle plan while you're still there. There's a great article by Jeff Goins this morning, actually, I read about you know how risky it is to take action. There's measured risk, right? One step at a time. So like I was currently working at my job. I was building up a little cash reserve. I was leveraging my 401k. And if I was able to buy that first rental property. So think about before you leap, right? taking those measured risks. But again, why? Why do you want to quit the job? Is it because you're just so miserable? Or is there something actually at your job you could tweak that would make it thrilling again because you, after all, maybe spent four years in college to get there, you know, to that law firm or whatever it is, right? Maybe it's you start your own law firm. I mean, who knows what it is, but there might be some tweaks under the hood we could make there. Then from there, really getting a battle plan together. And I would say stick with one course of action. If you want to talk yourself out of anything, hang out on the internet for five minutes. Get off of the damn internet. I'm telling you, take a course, take Michael's course, go through a program that teaches you one strategy that speaks to you. You'll know, like if you just quietly sit down with a cup of coffee without a podcast in your ears, without music playing, without kids nipping at your knees, just quietly contemplate what makes you excited. Is it doing multifamily? Is it maybe going out and doing some single families. Maybe you're interested in mobile home parks. Maybe that really fascinates you. You know what? Go through a course, stick to it because chances are, if it's revered enough, that person has achieved success and it's a blueprint. It's literally a blueprint, a map, like my flight to New Zealand. That was my course. I literally wrote down his course there and I took action, followed his exact... I didn't reinvent the wheel. I'm not a smart guy. And I followed that through. But there's not a one-size-fits-all approach. So some people don't have money. Some people don't have a deal. Some people don't know anybody. Those are the three mechanics of real estate, right? People, deals, and money. So all you need is two of them, right? So if you have a deal and you have people, but you don't have money, guess what? The people will help you get the money. If you have people and you have money, but you don't have a deal, they'll help you find a deal. So you need to make those connections, get out of your comfort zone and go to local RIA meetings and bring business cards uh, or take business cards from people and write notes on the back of each business card. Bring a pen with you and talk to everybody in the room. I can't stand when I go to RIA meetings and there's the one little shy guy who just, he goes and he hangs out in the back and he never talks to anybody. It's like, why are you here? You have the opportunity in this room of 50 people to network and find people and connections and actually take action. And that's a good roadmap for people to get started and to come out of their comfort zone. 
Love that. What are you excited about right now, Clayton? Well, I am excited about doing some multifamily deals this year. Um, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about working on a book on financial freedom. So, you know, my wife and I working on a book on how to retire at 40 years old. And it's going to be a lot of the mindset stuff. I mean, the mechanics will be there, but it really is going to come down to knowing your balance sheet, but also the mindset around you know understanding your why and developing a game plan for financial freedom. And it'll tell the story, a little bit of what we talked about today. So I've got to find the time to do that, <laughs> sit down and put pen to paper. And you know, I'm honestly, I'm most excited about creating more white space in my life. And I, ho- I hope that doesn't sound trite. But we're so consumed with gadgets and our phones that, you know, you find if you're in line at a Starbucks, what do you do? Everyone's head is down, just like looking at the phone. You know, imagine just like taking that few moments to just breathe deeply and just look around. And so I'm trying to spend more time doing that, taking walks without a podcast in my ears as much as I podcast. You know, that's my business, right? I do a lot of that. Sitting outside in the sun and just thinking. Steve Jobs, famously, I would see him at the iPad event. You know, he's got grass stains all over his sneakers. He would just take walks to think and come up with ideas. And that's where the best ideas come from is when we create that white space in our life. So honestly, that's what I'm most excited about. Love it. How do people connect with you, Clayton? Well, if they love audio podcasts and you do want to listen to some more content, that's probably the best way. I you know, produce my uh, Investing in Real Estate show. It's a really generic, boring name. It's just Investing in Real Estate show with Clayton Morris. Uh, my wife joins me on Wednesday's episodes where we talk about family, tax structure, that how we handle you know our state, that sort of stuff, and the planning for taxes and family running of real estate. We do that Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. That, or they can come to our website. And if people want to grab that freedom cheat sheet, by the way, we give it away for free. And just go to morrisinvest.com slash freedom and download its three pages. We just built a new version of it for 2018 with some revised numbers to help people out. So it's free. Sit down, figure out your number. That's the best way. Yeah, I love, I love what you're doing because you're equally passionate about people becoming financially free because it isn't anything else is insanity. So anyone listening, definitely encourage you guys to go to morrisinvest.com, subscribe to Clayton's podcast, download his cheat sheet and consume everything he's got. So I want to thank you, Clayton. Thank for you, Michael. The show. And by the way, check out Michael's episode. He was on my show and we, we talked some awesome stuff. So you got to check out that episode as well. So great. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Real treat and amazing questions. You know, I had a long career in broadcasting. You would have put me out of business, my friend. Good stuff. Thank you. Thanks again, Clayton. So this is one of those shows that should create great introspection in yourself. I think Clayton talked a lot about being silent and thinking, something he wants to do more of. I find that the more I become silent and think, the clearer my thoughts become, the less cluttered, and I know much more precisely where I need to be going. And we don't do that enough in our society. It's just too many things going on, too many demands. We're just too busy. There's no time for that white space that, that Clayton talks about. And I think that's an issue. I think most people drift through life because of it. So my challenge to you is to stop drifting for a brief moment and really look at your life. I, I'm not saying you have to quit your job if you don't hate your job, right? But if you are thinking, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're looking for a way out. If that's the case, then pay attention to that little voice and explore it further, develop it further, see where it leads you. My experience has been that the more personal that becomes, the more likely you are to change your life. It goes like that with anything that you want to do in life and quitting your job with real estate is just another example of that. Really pay attention to it and and ask yourself why you want that. If you could do it, what would it allow you to do? 
be very clear about. Imagine, visualize what that would be. And at the same time, while you're doing that, also think about status quo. Visualize yourself in the same spot this time next year. How do you feel? If you feel pretty good about it, there's no problem. You're not solving a problem here. Just keep doing what you're doing. But if you sense this discontent that you don't want to be in the same place you are this time next year, then decide right then in that moment that you can change your life. It's that simple. You just have to decide. And, and it, I think that decision point, while there's no implied action there, you can't have any other result but action from there. I've seen it over and over and over again. When I interview people who have quit their jobs with real estate and I ask them when they decide, because I always ask. And typically that moment is very, very precise in people's minds where they something snapped in, inside their head and they can remember an instance of time where they said enough is enough. And I think you have to get to that point in yourself. And sometimes we have to go through trauma to get to that point. And that kind of forces the introspection. But why do we have to wait till some traumatic experience happens? Can't we do that without the trauma? And the way we do it is by silence, by introspection, by developing a self-awareness and deciding then and there that you don't want to be in the same place this time next year, that you want to be in a different place. And it's as fundamental as that. And... The mechanics, as Clayton says, the strategy is actually secondary. Now, I'm going to insist that you should look into multifamily because for me, of all the things I've tried, it achieves the, the fastest results and the most permanent results. But if, like as Clayton says, if you're called to single family houses or mobile homes, so be it. The biggest point is that you need to introspect and decide that you want to change your life. So that's my challenge to you tonight. If uh, you're interested in learning how to raise money, for anything really, but multifamily specifically, check out my free ebook. It's at themicablanc.com forward slash ebook. Download that and that'll get you going. I have a bunch of podcasts. Make sure you subscribe to that. If you love the show, please head over to iTunes. Would love to see your review there. I have a bunch of blog articles and YouTube videos. And my challenge to you is take a look at multifamily as a viable strategy, a real estate strategy for you to quit your job. So anyway, Hope you enjoyed that. I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.